0: Thanks, guys. Uh, If you get your Bibles, let's open to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4. Yep, right in the middle of your Bibles, you'll probably find the book of Psalms, and then one book to the right, Proverbs. While you guys are turning there, a lot of you guys weren't here last week. I think everybody in Albuquerque has been sick the last two or three weeks. So let's do a quick, quick recap. Uh, We just kind of did an overall intro to this book, but... What is what is wisdom? Talked about this a lot last week. What is wisdom? Yep. Yeah, so we kind of defined it when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount is the right application of biblical knowledge, right? It does you no good if you know a lot of stuff, but then don't know what to do with it. And then we kind of defined it last week with Tim Keller's helpful definition of he said, knowing how things really do you remember? knowing how things really work, and then knowing how things really are, and then what? Knowing what to do about it, right? So we talked about a wise man being like an experienced sailor on an actual sailboat, right? So he can learn to anticipate winds, where they're coming from, and then knowing what to do with the sails accordingly, right? So... It does you no good if you know the winds are going this way and you want to go that way, what to do with the sails if you do them the wrong way, right? You're going to go the, the opposite direction. So learning how things really are in the world and then learning how to, what to do about it. Then what do we say? Who are the Proverbs written to? Youth? Why are the Proverbs written to youth? Yes, Siliana? <laughs> because, you, what did you say? Because we're stupid. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, in maybe a little less blunt terms, but yes, that's true, right? Because why? Because most of the time, youth are inexperienced, right? You're like you just stepped on the sailboat for the first time and don't quite have uh, years of observation and years of practice with the sails. Uh, but who else is the book of Proverbs written to? Youth and... To the wise, right? We saw this in chapter 1. The book of Proverbs is written to the wise because we never arrive at full wisdom. We're always learning. Your parents may be wiser than you, but your grandparents are probably wiser than them. Right? We never arrive fully at wisdom. So the book of Proverbs is written to the youth, to the wise. And I didn't quite say this specifically, but who might the only person be who is not invited to the book of Proverbs the fool why is the fool not invited what yeah well what makes the fool a fool what right knowing the right thing to do and then not doing it and what else he thinks he's wise so the, the fool comes to the book of Proverbs and says, no, nope, no thanks, I don't need it, I'm good. And I really liked hearing uh, Kelly Moore's example in his small group last week, he said, it's like, what would happen if you showed up on the first day of class in calculus, and you said, you actually didn't know calculus at all, but you said, no, nope, I'm good, I actually don't need to come to class, I don't need to do any homework, I don't ever need to read the book, uh, teacher... I know just as much as you. I'm good. What's, gonna ha- what, what's your grade going to be at the end of the semester? F minus. F-. <laughs> but who is actually going to make an A in the class? The person who humbly comes in on the first day and says, I don't know anything about calculus. I need you to teach me. I need to study. I need to actually do the homework and learn And then the person who didn't know anything on the first day, actually at the end of the semester, at the end of the year, quite has a a good mastery of calculus, right? So that's why the fool is not invited, because he's the guy that says, no thanks, I got it. I don't need your wisdom, I don't need your instruction. And so Solomon in Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Someone who is humble and says, I need this, I need wisdom, you are Stronger, wiser, and uh, better than me, God. Teach me your wisdom. So, today we're going to go through chapter four, and we're going to look at we're going to try to answer three questions. We're going to, similar to last week, try to look at why we should pursue wisdom, how we should pursue wisdom, and then how we actually get wisdom. So I told you last week, but we're going to spend. Last week, this week, and next week, just kind of talking about wisdom in general, as Solomon does in the first nine chapters of the book, and then two weeks from now, we'll start looking throughout the rest of the book at thematic things throughout the rest of the book, like friends and what you say and how you spend your time and that kind of thing. So, our first question, why should we pursue wisdom? Let's read together chapter four, the first four verses. Solomon says, Hear, O sons, of father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let's stop. All right. Who wrote this book? Solomon. And who is Solomon? Who... Who is Solomon's mommy and daddy? Yeah. Celiana, you know? Is his daddy. And who is his mommy? Bathsheba. Whoa. You guys, we we kind of forget about that. Bathsheba. Solomon is not the the son of Bathsheba who was conceived in their adulterous affair. That, That child actually died in infancy. But he's their second son. The one who grew up to be the king of Israel. And as he grows, we read in 1 Kings 3, God says to him, he come, God comes to Solomon and he says, ask what I shall give you. He says, what, anything you want. What do you want, Solomon? And Solomon says, in verse 9 of chapter 3, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. This is a man who has fear of the Lord. He says, I have no idea what's going to happen in this whole king thing. I don't know how to rule your people. Give me wisdom. And then what does God say to him? What You guys know the story? What happens next? Yeah? He gives him wisdom, and then what else does he give him? Yeah. yeah. He says, you could have asked for anything you wanted, but since you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom, but then I'm going to give you all of that too. Um, so here's Solomon's sons. Solomon's writing to his sons here. And he's basically saying in these first four verse, verses, he's saying, listen up, voice. He's saying, you guys know that I'm the king. You guys know that I'm probably the wisest guy who's, not a wise guy, but the wisest king, the wisest man who's ever lived. You've heard all these stories about, uh, these two prostitutes with a baby and me figuring out how to figure out whose baby it was. It was brilliant. You've heard about the Queen of Sheba, this, this queen in Africa coming to learn from me. You've heard all these stories. You know about my wisdom. So here it is. But he also says what? What does he say? Who's, whose wisdom is this from? Look at verse 3. He says, When I was a son with my father... He taught me. He's saying, this, isn't just, this just, isn't just my wisdom. This is actually wisdom from your grandpa David. Okay? So let's look what David tells Solomon, and now what Solomon is telling his boys. He says, in verse 4, He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. So, first of all, why do you think he told them that this was from Grandpa David? Why didn't he just tell them? Why do you think he mentioned this, that... This is actually from, from grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, like, okay, so it's not an order, it's it's not just from me, it's from somebody else. What else? Yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a really respected king too, he's probably got a, maybe a longer track record of being the awesome king of Israel. It might perk up a little bit. Uh, I think also it adds a little bit of weightiness to it. that, Like we said, it's not just what he's coming up with on its own. But also, do any of you guys have anything, like any like bits of instruction or any skills that you have learned from your mom or dad who your mom or dad have told you they learned from their mom or dad, your grandparents? Anybody have anything like this? Like... Something that you bake or something that you know how to make, yeah you know what you're how to properly make enchiladas. Who did you learn this from? And who did she learn this from? And then do you, do you, does it go past that? Forever. Okay, because J- Jesus certainly knew how to make a proper green chili enchilada. Yes. Uh, anybody else have anything like this? No, nothing. All right. Well, these things, these traditions add a lot of weightiness. When an implication of Solomon telling that this is from Grandpa David, he seems to be saying, listen up, this is from your Grandpa David. He taught me this. I'm teaching you this now when you're young. And the implication is I want you to teach your boys when they're older, when you're an older father. He says, uh, this is so important he's, all the time. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. Don't forget, because I want you to tell the same thing to your boys. Quick aside, parents, one of the most important parts of your parenting is real, realizing the good things that you've inherited from your parents, the good traditions that you've inherited from them, and realizing the bad things that you've inherited from them, because Not all tradition, just because it's passed on from generation to generation is good after all, right? I mean, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the American Southeast, right, people inherited slavery and racism from their parents. It was passed on. Uh, Many of us have inherited as men a passivity from our parents, from our dads, right? This is not something that we want to pass on to our boys, and so one of, our, one of the greatest things that we can do as parents is realizing that you're always discipling your kids in something, right? Just as you were discipled from your parents in something, good or bad, and learning which is which. So, what does David actually say, though? That was a quick aside. What does David actually say to Solomon and that now Solomon is saying to his boys? It's subtle, but what does Solomon compare wisdom to in this? Look over this again. What is he comparing wisdom to? What pronoun does he use over and over and over? Her. Why doesn't he say it? What's he comparing wisdom to? Why he say? Why would he say her? Anybody have any thoughts? A woman. But why? Because women are awesome. I think he's saying to his sons, this, this, this thing, wisdom, is like a beautiful bride that you should be pursuing. A wife that you should be thinking about, dreaming about, and pursuing one day. He, look at this language. He says, don't forsake her. Love her. Prize her highly. Embrace her. This is love language. Seriously, it is. This is a love language for wisdom. Uh, And then in verse uh, 7, the last part of that, he says, whatever you get, get insight. I like that we've been reading on the ESV. I like the NIV translation that says, though it cost all you have, get understanding. This is kind of like, if we're carrying on this bride metaphor, it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet, right? Romeo, though it cost him everything, his friends, his family, his reputation, even his life, it was worth it for him to pursue and be with finally getting Juliet, right? So having Juliet was the most important thing to him. And though it cost him everything, he still pursued her. And I think this is what Solomon and David are saying. Though it costs you everything, get her. Get wisdom because she is beautiful and worthy. Not because of the good things that she gives you. And we see that we get good things, right? The graceful garland, a beautiful crown. But first and foremost, because she's beautiful. Because she's worthy. And then we have the end of the quotation here in verse 9. End quote. This is the end of what David is saying. And I think one of the benefits of this is Solomon is kind of saying to his kids, all right, now you can ask me, was it worth it? You can ask me. David told me this, and now you can ask me, hey, Pops, hey, Solomon, did you get the garland? Did you get the crown? Was it worth it? And he can say, yes, it was. So, hopefully along with last week, we can see that the pursuit of wisdom is worth it because she's a beautiful and worthy bride. And He's saying cherish wisdom. Cherish her. Pursue her. But how? How should we pursue her? Well, let's keep reading. We're going to see we should pursue her like a path. Let's read verses 10 through 19. Now, this is Solomon. This isn't David. He says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go, guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and, turn, and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteous of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter And brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So, he's basically saying that the pursuit of wisdom is not the ultimate destination, but the journey along the way. It's small steps. Think about it. When you guys decide that you want to hike the mountain, do you just wake up in the morning, eat some breakfast, and then you're there? No. You get in the car... You drive to the base of the mountain, and then over three or four hours, take small steps along the path. It takes small steps, small repeated steps over hours and hours and hours for you to get to the top. And I think Solomon seems to be saying the same thing here, that the pursuit of wisdom is small repeated steps over the course of your lifetime. So last Thursday, Memo and I... uh, you guys might know Memo is on staff here. We went and we, we work out two or three lunch breaks uh during the week. And we were at Planet Fitness over here in Alameda, and uh we were working out on a bench, and this woman probably in her mid-30s was working out right next to her, or right next to us. And uh this man, probably in his late 60s, maybe early 70s, comes by and he stops and he puts his hand on her back, and he was like And she, like, had to take out her earbuds. She was kind of annoyed, it looked like. Uh, We were both kind of just looking out of the corner of our eye. He's like, oh, hi, Sophia. It's so good to see you again. Have I ever told you? This is a 70-year-old man. He's like, have I ever told you how beautiful your name is? And I laughed out loud for two reasons. One, I laughed out loud because does anyone know what Sophia means in Greek? Yep, Paul means wisdom. So I was I had just been writing this sermon in the morning about wisdom and I heard that and so that was funny. But then the other reason I laughed is it was pathetic. <laughs> it was 70 year old creepy old man was totally throwing his game down, like trying to hit on this like woman half his age. And I was like, man, come on. And no one wants to be the creepy old man, right? No one wants to be that. And conversely, have you guys heard stories about, like, the old, like, 85-year-old grandmother who, like, maybe has even Alzheimer's and is losing mental capabilities, but yet she's still, like, quoting scripture, and she's still gentle and kind to her nurses? That's amazing. How do you become the creepy old pathetic man and how do you become the gentle and kind woman who has no control over her mind anymore? You don't just wake up one day and be creepy and pathetic, and you don't wake up one day and be gentle and kind, right? So how do you become that way? Well, the answer is this, and the answer Solomon is giving us is right, is, the answer is right now. I've heard this quote, I tried looking for it to find the origin of this quote this week, but I couldn't find it, but the quote is, you'll never be who you aren't becoming. You'll never be uh, kind and gentle if you aren't becoming that now. So I've heard one pastor talk about this kind of thinking as reverse engineering. So think about what you want to be when you're 85 and you have grandkids. Do you want to be gentle and kind and memorizing scripture and pursuing the Lord and pure and everyone loves to be with you to sit under your wisdom then what should you be what goal what steps should you be taking to become that way when you're 65 and when you're 50 and when you're 35 and when you're a college student in 20 or when next year when you turn 15 okay because you'll never be that, you'll never be that 85-year-old man unless you start taking those steps along the way today and tomorrow, right? So I've heard another really helpful bit of advice uh, that sometimes we often try to like say, I'm never going to do this again, this sin. I'm never going to be this way again. And the reality is, is most likely this, whatever it is, is going to happen again. And while the, the goal of this is to try to eliminate all of our sin, here's the bit of advice I can give to you. Be faithful in the next thing. So the next time, this, whatever it is, different for guys and girls, different for all of our context, whenever this thing, this temptation, this whatever it is, be faithful then. Be faithful today in the next step um, along the path. And then the more and more we are faithful in small things, the greater we are faithful along the journey, along the path. Look at verse 14, though. Solomon says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. In verse 14, Solomon is telling his sons that when they're young, they still have the ability to choose which road they'll walk down. But then look what happens in verse 16 and 17. He says, for they, now he's talking about the people who are far down the road of wickedness. He says they can't sleep. They're robbed of sleep. They, in verse 17, they eat the bread of wickedness. He's saying they can't sleep at night because they're plotting evil. The bread that they eat is wickedness. He is saying the things that they're nourished by is evil. He's saying this is like the language of addiction, right? They can't sleep. They eat evil. He's kind of saying they no longer have the choice to get off the path. He's saying, I think kind of what Jesus and John eight and Paul and Romans six have in mind when he's kind of saying they're slaves to their sin. They can't leave this thing. They just continually choose evil they choose wickedness, and they don't have any other choice compared to Solomon's young sons who have the choice which path they will walk down. One of my favorite little books, this is really good, we should get some of these in the Resource Center, is a little book called Thoughts for Young Men by this guy named J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican bishop in Liverpool in England in the 1800s. And he wrote this, listen to this, this is so good. He writes over 120 or 30 years ago, he says, Habits are like stones rolling downhill. The further they roll, the faster and more ungovernable is their course. Habits, like trees, are strengthened by age. A boy may bend an oak when it is a sapling, right? When it's a little tree, it's brand new. Any of us could walk over and bend it down to the ground. But a hundred men cannot uproot it when it is a full-grown tree. A child can wade over the Thames River at its fountainhead. The largest ship in the world can float in it when it gets near the sea, though. So it is with habits. The older, the stronger, the longer they have held possession, the harder they will be to cast out. They grow with our growth and strengthen with our strength. So I think J.C. Ryle here has in mind what Solomon has here in mind. When we're young... Our habits are moldable, are still being made habits, right? But the longer that habit that you've begun for a couple of years when you're a teenager, the longer that habit holds in your habits, if that becomes a habit for 50 years, whatever this is, it will be nearly impossible to make not a habit, right? like a stone rolling faster and faster down the hill so why should we pursue wisdom because she's beautiful she's worthy and how do we pursue wisdom right now making continued small steps toward her toward wisdom being faithful in the small things but this might be the most important question is how how do we get her? How do we get wisdom? Up till this point, we've, if you were just kind of observing, you could say, Nathan, you've given quite a moralistic sermon, right? Pursue wisdom. Pursue her, whatever it costs. Start becoming the man or woman that you want to be 50 years from now. Start becoming him or her now, right? Start making better decisions. Be faithful, right? But the problem is. And the truth is, is that we can't change our character by ourselves. We often don't want wisdom. We often want to walk down the path of the wicked. We don't want to do what is right. We often choose the wrong moral choice. And if this is just moralism, then we'll continue to choose the wrong moral choice. So, what does Solomon have to say about that? Verse 20. He says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the spring of life. Let's stop there. In in American culture, what do we talk about when we talk about the heart? What comes from the heart? What? Yes, blood. Okay, aside from the biology book, what do we mean when we talk about the heart in American culture? Love, emotions, right? We give Valentines with a heart on it, with a Cupid arrow through it, right? Uh, so it's, we mean the emotions when we're talking about it as Americans in 2013. But in Hebrew culture, the heart was far more than that. It was... The inner man. Anything that wasn't physical was in the heart. Our emotions, yes, but also our desires, our will, our thoughts, our decisions. All of this came from the heart. And as Solomon says in verse 23, it is the wellspring of life. So, as in the biology book, where does the blood in the tip of my finger and the tips of my toes come from? Right, so the heart gives life to all of my body, biologically speaking. And spiritually speaking, Solomon says that our heart controls the rest of our being, our inner person. God has created our hearts, our inner person, to be captivated by him, to find our ultimate identity in him. For our hearts to worship him but the problem is as c.s lewis says human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than god which will make him happy that's true is isn't it you know why sometimes you don't want wisdom why sometimes you want to choose the path of unrighteousness the answer to that is because you want it more you don't want wisdom You want unrighteousness. John Piper teaches us that we were created for joy. God made us to want joy in everything you do. Think about it. Every decision you make has joy in mind. When you choose... Why do you choose chocolate ice cream over vanilla ice cream? Because it tastes better. Because you think... You are convinced that chocolate will give you more joy than vanilla. When you... Decide you want to watch a movie tonight rather than read a book. Why would you do this? Or maybe you would rather read a book than watch a movie. Why would you make this choice? Because you are convinced that whatever that is, the book or the movie, will give you more joy. Which college should I go to? Well, probably the place that's going to give me the most amount of joy, financially speaking, academically speaking, socially speaking. Should I wake up this morning and read my Bible? Or should I sleep? When I make that decision, it's joy in mind. I'm convinced, when I sleep through reading my Bible, I'm convinced that sleep will actually give me more joy than God's word. Should I lust over that girl or not? Joy. Should I obey my parents or disobey them? Joy. Every decision you make has joy in mind. When you sin, it's because you are more con- you're convinced that sin will give you more joy than righteousness. So, Solomon is saying, to pursue and get wisdom, our hearts must want it, must desire it, more than foolishness. We have to be convinced that wisdom will give us more joy than foolishness. And this is where we get back to wisdom as a person, like we talked about last week. It's possible that Jesus could have had this verse in mind, 4.23, when he said, if you guys were with us on Wednesday, we read this out loud together in John chapter 7. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. He says, If you believe in me and are captivated, are convinced that I will give you more joy than anything else, then from you, from your heart, will flow living water. So he's saying, if you're thirsty, and all of you are thirsty, all of you want joy and are ultimately unsatisfied in other things, then come to me and drink. I read this week, this author, she's writing about women and food, but she writes that women turn to food when they are not hungry because they are hungry for something that they can't name, a connection to what is beyond the concerns of daily life, something deathless, something sacred. But replacing the hunger for divine connection with double-stuffed Oreos is like giving a glass of sand to a person dying of thirst. It creates more thirst, more panic. And this is true for all of us, not just women and food. This is true for all of us in the things that we think will ultimately satisfy us satisfy our thirst. Okay, let's do a little experiment. We're going to have you fill in the blank just in your head. If I only had blank, then I would truly be happy. Just think about whatever that is. If I had this, then I would be happy. Have you got something in mind? Do another experiment, another blank. If blank was taken away from me, then I could never be happy again. You have this thing? That thing, that thing that you filled in the blank with, is your cup of sand. The thing that you think will ultimately satisfy you, but is ultimately creating more thirst and more panic. The thing is, is that the gospel is what satisfies our thirst. When we realize that cross chart, what we've talked about over and over again, that God is so big and so holy. We are so sinful and we actually don't want anything to do with God and yet he loves us still and adopts us as son and sons and daughters through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That is satisfying. That gives us identity as sons and daughters. And Solomon is telling us that when we find that as our identity, an actual cool cup of lemonade through the desert rather than a cup of sand, Solomon tells us in 4.23 to guard that. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Some people use this verse to mean to protect and guard your heart like soldiers standing outside of a city wall? Why, are, why, are, why do soldiers stand at a city wall like at the gate? Selena. Keep out the bad guys, right? Uh, don't let the bad guys in. So we use this verse to say, don't watch bad movies, don't listen to music. Girls, don't let your hearts get trampled on by boys. right? Guard your hearts. And while all that may be true... In the study that I've been doing this week, I think it's more like not a guard at the, at the city wall, but a guard at a, at a prison. Why is the guard there at the prison, at a cell? To make sure that the prisoner doesn't get out, right? He's not letting him out of his sight. He's not letting him leave. He is guarding him. Uh, and I think that's similar to what Solomon says, In verse 13, when he says, keep hold of instruction, do not let it go, guard her, for she is your life. The middle image I have here is as he's walking down the path, he has like a money purse hanging around his neck inside of his shirt, and he's guarding it, he's protecting it, he's making sure that no one's going to to take it from him. And if you guys were across all in the first service when Pastor Ryan was teaching about God guarding his people, guarding his inheritance for his people, protecting it, making sure that it is going to be there for them at the end, guarding and protecting. And so I think this is what Solomon is saying here in 4.23, where he's saying, once you have found this wellspring of life, this ultimate place of joy and satisfaction found in Christ, guard it, keep it. Because you know what? There are all sorts of things in our lives competing for that joy and satisfaction. All sorts of relationships that we may be pursuing, academic success, Uh, sports success, uh, cars, things, you name it. There are all sorts of things competing for our joy. And Solomon, I think, is saying, guard that place of joy that you have found in Christ. Pursuing Christ and finding him as your ultimate place of joy. Fight for that. And then, when you have found that, when you have found this wellspring of life, Then you can worry about, in verse 24, what you say. Then you can worry about, in verse 25, what you look at. Then you can worry about, about, in verse 26 and 7, where you go, what you do. Then you can worry about going back, being faithful in the next thing. Then we can worry about taking the small steps along the path. If we start with just being faithful in the next thing, just taking steps along the path, then that's only moralism. It's only going to lead to disappointment and ultimately failure because we're often not going to walk down that path. But when we start with the heart and believing in Christ is not just a get-out-of-ticket or get-out-of-hell-free get ticket, right? Which most of us maybe did in the beginning, right? Oh, hell, hell's scary. I don't want that. So I'll believe in you, Jesus. Well, that's true. Then as we grow in, in Christ and grow as Christians. Jesus isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. He's our ultimate place of joy and satisfaction. Then that's when we become to be faithful in the small things, when we experience real life change, when we start to pursue wisdom as a beautiful bride. So Solomon says, get wisdom. Get Jesus as your ultimate place of joy. Because if your heart isn't changed, then it's just do better. Just make a better decision. Walk down the path of righteousness. Don't walk down the path of wickedness, boys and girls. Right? That's all that is if he says, if your heart is not changed first. So, is he? Is Jesus your ultimate place of joy? Is the gospel a place of Amazing beauty, so captivating that you say, yes, I want that more than sin because it gives me more joy. I love how we sang across the hall, amazing grace at the end. Pastor Ryan said, if you, don't, if you think of yourself as a pretty good person already, then grace isn't that amazing because you deserve it, right? But if we have an accurate view of God and an accurate view of ourselves, then grace in the gospel is amazing, is beautiful, is captivating, is joy-giving. So do you believe it? Is it amazing? Does it give you joy? What are the things that are robbing that joy from you, that are competing against that? What are the, what's the thing that you fill in the blank with that will ultimately make you happy? We're going to start talking about that in our small groups. What is that thing? And then why is that thing ultimately unsatisfying? Okay? So let's do that now. Let's break it up. Yes. Yes! Thank you. And I'm so sorry that I forgot to put that on your discussion sheets again, but it's 423. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And then, yeah, we might take A minute when we get in our small groups here to kind of go over 1-7 again. So we want to, Proverbs are meant to be memorized so that we can apply them in the right time. So let's do that.